Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. This is Tony LaGreca, and the show is The Courage to Hope. And tonight we have a, a couple on who lost their son about four years ago, and this is Linda and George Kokoris. I understand that that Linda likes to do most of the talking, so I'm going to ask Linda a question. <laughs> if they, uh, would you like to explain what happened, when it happened, and did you have any idea that it was coming? Um, well... We lost Alex. Our, our son's name was Alex. Um, he it happened um, October 29th, two thousand eighteen. Um, we knew he was going through um, s- some struggling um, work and personally, um, and he was struggling with that. He talked to us about that, especially myself and himself. Um, would you say, when you say struggling at work with the way the administration was treating him or, or just being a police officer in general? Um, I think both, both yeah. um, you know, yeah. what they see every day. The, you know, the department was severely understaffed, um, forced a lot, you know, to work overtime over like double shifts. Um, he was exhausted. Um, personally, he was going through a divorce at the time. And, um, you know, trying to balance that with um, taking care of his kids, um, spending time with his kids, work. He was also going to law school um, at the time. So he was trying to balance all of that um, and, and work at the same time and try to achieve it all 100%. And, uh, yeah, he was struggling. Yeah, I think just all of that, you know, everybody goes through struggles in life and he lived with us um, until a couple of weeks before he passed. And, you know, we definitely knew he was struggling, but, you know, just like everybody goes through ups and downs, we were trying to support him and we never really understood that he was struggling to the point that he would contemplate, you know, what happened. So you know, we, we're still four years later trying to make sense of it. Mm. And I don't think you really ever can make sense of it. But, um, you know, we, we got a call. We were actually out at uh, Restaurant Depot doing some shopping for our cafe. And we got a call <clears throat> mid-afternoon. And they said they couldn't find him had we talked to him. And, you know, we hadn't heard from him. And then, you know, it, it was kind of the frantic, you know, where is he? Can we get a hold of him? I know I was calling his cell phone and trying to text him. And I remember the police calling me and saying, stop calling his phone and stop texting him because we're trying to use it to locate him. And uh, at that point, they figured out that he was at home by himself. And uh, that's when he committed suicide. And did he? As a police officer, did he have guns before he was a police officer? No, no. And he used, so he used a gun that he used for work. Yes. He did. He didn't go to work that day. He called in. I don't know if he called in sick or he, you know. He was to go to a training. Yeah, he was supposed to go to a training and he didn't go. And then, you know, after he was missing for a while, people started to wonder where he was. And, you know, obviously... He had the plan in his head and he followed through on it. So I, we know that losing a child is about the most painful thing you'll ever do in your life. Yeah. Uh, and even losing the spouse someday is one thing, but losing a child is a totally different experience. Which mm-hmm. I've experienced myself, so I know. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. So how did you deal with it? It. it it's one of those things, Tony, and you, you know, you understand, but very few people outside of folks like us do. It's one of those things you just can't figure out how to deal with. You know, it's not one of those things that time makes better. 
Um, we, it, it, it took me, you know, I, I really didn't talk about it for three years. It took me a long time to even be able to have the conversation about it because it's just such a shock that there's so much going on in your mind. You, you don't know how to explain it to people that haven't experienced it. So mm. it, it's one of those things that I think, you know, my wife and I certainly have tried to manage through it, uh, you know, through an organization that we work with called First Help. It used to be Blue Help um, that supports families that have lost a first responder to suicide. But we, you know, we do notice our other kids. We have four other kids and, you know, they're all dealing with it differently too. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our second oldest son doesn't, still doesn't talk about it to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when he when when he says that Tony, when he's when George says uh, I didn't talk about it, um, he wasn't only sort of saying I didn't talk about what happened. Um, it was to a point that he, he wouldn't even mention Alex's name. So, and when I would come in, I sort of have dealt with it a little bit differently for me um, because. I'm I'm at a cafe. I'm working every day, um, so I couldn't close. I had to be there and keep the the cafe open. And um, but I was fortunate enough to to have sort of a different type of dealing with it. I found comfort, I suppose. Um, that's what helped me to go through grieving, or or maybe. As I've learned just recently, maybe it's sort of like just diving in, like some people go into exercise, some people can become obsessive or dive into food to numb out any pain that you're going through. I dove into work, spend a lot of my time there. And um, but I'm fortunate enough to be able to um I deal with a lot of first responders every day. So um, I take comfort in in having first responders come into the cafe and uh, every day. And at that initial time when it did happen, I was just swarmed with um, any department, you name it, coming in and counselling sort of me and guiding me and let me know that I'm be there for me. And I still do today. So some of Alex's buddies, I wouldn't say the administration at the time, because there was no acknowledgement from the administration at the um in the Abington Police really? Department. Really? Was he in the police department where your restaurant is, where your cafe is? No. 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 At one town over. He yeah. was in Abington. He was in Abington and my cafe is in Weymouth. Um, but there was no acknowledgement um, at all ever. Um, from the police department. Um, and I think that's one of the difficult things, yeah. Tony, is this is this is not considered a line of duty death. So they really don't want to talk about it. And they, you know, in fairness, they gave him all the honors that you would get in a line day. of duty death. But there's just, you know, there's no talk about it. There's no acknowledgement. There's no there's no really um, celebration of his life, I guess, because of the way he died. And that's, you know, that's very troubling to us. Well, my my cousin's son died of suicide just last year. And, and uh, she perceived it as it was a, it's a brain disease. You know, it's a disease mm-hmm. of the brain that you, it's a, you know, there's you lose that survival side mm-hmm. and you and you're in that position and um and she looked at it that way as her son had a disease and the, the police department uh they're supposed to be you know we call it john wayne syndrome yeah well, Su- superman this, superman they're supposed to have all the answers and they're supposed to be a fixer mm-hmm. you know yeah. and, and yeah. committing suicide is you know is a weakness or something they they don't they don't really understand that it's it's a part of the brain that just 
does that. You know, I mean, I yeah. had, unfortunately, so many people that I know that have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they just, it's a coping mechanism is gone. Yeah. And they feel they they feel there's no way out or anything. And that's, yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to understand, Tony, because when you look at what he had, you know, he had three beautiful children, he had his siblings, he had us. And you start to think, you know, I know for the three years, I thought to myself, how does how does life get so bad? Or how do you get that down that you think that's the only way out? You mm-hmm. know, and that's that's what probably is the hardest thing in trying to rationalize or deal with it is you just can't, you know, we all have our ups and downs in life, but I don't think you know, most of us don't think that's the way to solve the problem, you know, or to get away from it. Yeah. So I think that's what, you know, and I know you have experience, you know, with substance abuse and that's, you know, that's another way that people try to get away from their problems, right? They get in that vicious cycle of, you know, that makes me feel better, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Mm. Um and that's the part that makes this so hard is that you see your loved one hurting, but you never realize that they're hurting to the point that they would do something like that. Yeah. yeah. In my son's situation, he was a patient at Milton Hospital. Mm-hmm. And they gave him a prescription for 100 oxycodones, told him to take three or four a day as needed. So they, they, they created an addict. And yep. my son was at that point where he was depressed because he was injured and he wasn't able to play football anymore. His life was changed totally. And then you give him something that that makes his brain, controls his brain. Yeah. And yep. and so so one minute he's a patient and the next minute he's an addict. And then all of a sudden comes all the stigma that goes with it. Yeah. But I always I always tell people my son's drug dealer wore a lab coat. <laughs> That's very true, Tony. He went went to school for eight years to be a doctor, and he wrote a thing on a piece of paper, and that changed my son's life, and and that's what ended up making you know killing him. Yeah, you know, and it's like, uh, and it's unfathomable, you know, that how could this change? And you know, you you try to you try to work it out with him and send him to rehab and all this, and the drug causes that again, it's substance use disorder is a disease of the brain. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what pe- people have to understand. And and if you had a disease in your liver or your pancreas or whatever, everybody's forgiven. You know that's okay. You know, and same thing if he got your son got shot in the line of duty. You know that that's he's a hero. You know. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. if he gets overwhelmed by the system, and we were talking earlier about the there were five um, police officers that the. Uh, on January 6th that were overwhelmed by the whole scenario and everything that happened, that there were five of them that committed suicide within two or three weeks after the event. Yeah. And, uh, yep. and they should have been listed as heroes because they, they re all, oh, they reached a point where they couldn't, they couldn't cope anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know? no, you're, you're so right. Tony. Absolutely. And, and uh, as, as far as, you know, in our case um, with, with Alex, um, or with law, not only in law enforcement, but first response, um, mental wellness. It's, um, it's a, I mean, it has come a long way um, from years back, but there is still st- such a stigma um, that our mission is to try stop that, try end it or make it better. Um, and, and the only way that we can, can do that is by continuing to say his name and honor him by how he lived, not by how he died. Um, because um, they're not honored by how they died um, in departments. You know, they families, widows don't get benefits um, after they die. They're not, it's not a line of duty debt. They don't receive any of that. I've heard from many of the um, meetings that we've had been with First Help, you know, there was one lady, her husband died and she had to take her son to 
the hospital because he was sick and she had no health insurance, was cut off the next day. Um, and it's it's such a sad, and, you know, yeah. they don't get, you know, if someone dies, a first responder dies in the line of duty, you know, they have organizations that pay off their mortgage for them and they're honored and there's memorials every year in departments. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't get that. I, I think that's absolutely a wonderful thing, but it doesn't happen for first responders who died by suicide. And I choose to use the, the the word died by suicide, not committed, because I really feel that, the, you know, the minds went right um, in the right minds to be actually able to commit to that. So I choose the word died by suicide um, and to try and end that stigma. It has come a long way. Um, and I just want to make it clarify that the administration in the department that our son worked in has changed. And um, so the culture has also changed in that department. Um, and I'm so happy for Alex's buddies and the, the the guys and women who work in the department now because they have a great chief um, who has come in and visited me many times. Um, and that was the first time anyone has had come in from that department other than his buddies, believe me, um, they recognize him and they choose to honor by how he lived, not by how he died. And um, and that's what First Help has organized, you know, helped us to realize and see, not to be ashamed, not to talk about it. Um, and we've got to meet so many parents through the organization who get it um, and who get us. And there's no judgment. There's no, no, nothing to feel ashamed of. And um, that they struggled. And every call, even, you know, if there's anything that we want to help other officers um, who are out on the job now, um, first responders, firemen, dispatch, EMTs, paramedics, all of them, they all come from the same cloth. And um, they're out there, first response, and every call, that they go go out on, and I say this with my heart, every call they go out on, they pick something up. They pick something. And over the years um, of buildup of every call, decompression, trying to go on my normal day life, um, that all adds up with a lot of PTSD. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that Ab absolutely. It's one of the yeah. people don't understand. It's one of the hardest jobs yeah. you can have, you know, especially, you know, even the, you know, I think the paramedics are right up there at the same thing. You're always seeing people death or close to death and yeah. all these things that happen constantly. Yeah. 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 Um, how about his three children? Have yeah. you get to see his three kids very often or? No, no, no. I, I think, again, the situation that was going on before his death kind of estranged everyone. And, you know, it's kind of sad because they're three beautiful young ladies and, you know, they're growing up and they're growing up without their dad that they were very, very close to. And so, they meant the world to him. Yeah, they, they were his everything. Yeah. So which even sort of adds to that, the why. You know, you start to rotate different sort of days of, you know, when we talk about things, you know, why, when they meant so much to him, why would he leave them if he knew how much pain um, and loss and emptiness that was going to, he was going to leave us with? I don't think he would have, would have went through with it. Um no, his but, rational rational mind wasn't there. No, it wasn't. No, so it wasn't that, that, that whole concept of what happened to that, because yeah. again, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, a relative who also committed suicide, and it's like, you know, the first thing you say is, why would they leave this their family, you know, and it makes right. no sense. And that's, that's to just confirms how much the disease of the brain that they were dealing with. Yeah, no, because that so right it was yeah. blocked out of their mind. Absolutely, they weren't thinking of what's the end result. They were thinking of right this second. This is what I'm going to do. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. worthy. Um, I'm not loved. 
I don't deserve to be here. I'm a burden. I'm sure they're all all different things that went through his mind. And um and I'm sure he didn't want to burden anybody anymore. Um but the thing is 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 that for us left behind is his kids, um, his siblings, is that you know, it's gone to be four years on the 29th. Four years, it, it, it still feels like yesterday. And um, and and the vivid events of, of that day and the aftermath um, is still very, very vivid. Um, so for me, and I, I, know, I know George would agree with me, um, that pain that we felt on that day and afterwards going through the whole funeral and wake and everything. Um, that pain has never changed. That hasn't lessened. It is, we've just learned to live through it. Yeah. We, that makes we, sense. That's a good, I, I, I go to bed every night, Tony, and think about it. I mean, my wife is right. It, it's, it just doesn't leave your mind. And, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a thought about a great, you know, a good time with Alex or something we did. But the, every every day, it, it's in your mind. It's in your head. Um, I am. I, I have said, a picture room. Said, yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't understand why you'd lose a child before you. Before you. It's you not just, the correct order of things. Yeah. Correct. Yep. You know, I, I have a picture room. With his, I have a memory chest with his pictures on it and stuff. So every night I say good night to him. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. talk to him often. All the time. As well. Yeah. yeah. I have a picture at the cafe and and I have many pictures of him at the cafe in my in my office and out front because I want people to remember him. You know what I mean? And uh, I have him out front in the cafe and um, Abington just came in and gave me all their new police patches that they just came out with. They have a new chief. So two of his buddies came came to the cafe the other day and um, said to me, um, you know, we we get new patches, we have a new chief, we have a so we have a new culture. Um, so it made sense to come up with a new patch with the town seal on it, and um, and they said we're going to have pink patches, and I was very excited because I collect um, police pink patches. Uh, all patches, but I collect pink patches representing breast cancer awareness. And um, and I said, oh, will I be able to get one? And with that, they took out behind the back and they said to me, we have all three of them for you, all the new patches. And wow. um, I, I stuck them up on the wall beside Alex because I know he would like them and he would be very happy to have that. But I talk to him all the time, mostly at the end of the day when I see a smiling face in the picture. And I'll say... You know, or maybe there's a tough thing that I'm going through and I need a little bit of help with and I'll talk to him during the day. And I always feel he's around me, for sure. As, as we move through the day, one day after the next, and um, we call it the new normal. Yeah. It's the new normal. And for people who don't, they've never experienced this, they would never know what you're talking about. But yeah, right. It's a new normal. I, again, I, <clears throat> I knew somebody who, lost a child in the, not a child, they lost their wife and their brother at the World Trade Center. And um, he said in the first year, he said everywhere he went, he carried a giant boulder on his back. And now that it, at this particular time, it was 10 years later, he says that the boulder's still there, but my back's just a little bit stronger. Yeah. That's true. And that, that's Absolutely. How you cope with it, you know. Yeah. It's true, you, know, really. you know, it's you two have each other, which is a real key thing. You're both the biological parents, you know, and that's a that's a big thing that sometimes it breaks a marriage up and sometimes it brings them closer together. Yeah. But um, yeah. you you have a you have that going for you that you can always talk to each other. Not always, yeah. but you know, I'm saying yeah. I'm sure for a while you just didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, you know? well that was the thing. <laughs> the the first three years actually if I came home from work um, and I'd say to him, 
Ryan was in, one of Alex's buddies, a police officer, or um, I would say he would just put his hand up to me. Say, I don't want to. I don't want to know. Yeah, I can't do it. And it was his way of of either being in denial um, of um, if he didn't talk about Alex's name, well, then it didn't happen. And if he did talk about it, he had to face reality that it did happen. And um, so for those three years, he he so we didn't grieve together. We grieved very, very differently. Yeah. And I, I really feel actually first help invited us out to um, a family weekend with all other families last year. And it was our first year to attend. And um that uh, that was a, a breakthrough for George um at that point because he was with other parents. We were in a group of a therapy session basically um um with other parents who had lost a child and um a, a, a first responder either fire or um an EMT or dispatch or a police officer. So we were all those parents and um I think he felt comfortable and looking at all these people and they knew what he was going through. And um that was a breakthrough moment for him for to start talking about Alex's name. And uh it made yeah. it easier for me to be able to talk with him too, you know, for sure. Well that's that was very beneficial. What's the name of that group again? Yeah. The organization is called First Help. Basically, what they do is they connect with families who have lost a first responder um, to suicide. Um, they help them in the aftermath. They send them care packages. They reach out. They do have support groups. They yeah. have weekly or monthly support groups. Um that, and these these families are all over the country, not only Massachusetts. Um, so they they have support groups. Um, they do blankets, care blankets, where the responders um, end of watch date on it for all the kids and the family. They'll get one. Um, they remember them. They say their name. They honor them all the time on their site. And they also bring the families out to a family weekend where kids can meet other kids who are going through the same um, struggles um, in school, you know, grades, anxiety, depression, all of that type of stuff that other kids are going through withdrawal. Um, and then um, they also do what they call readiness retreats for first responders who are struggling. I might need it and they, those retreats uh, invite responders to go away for a week They're, it's built by first responders for first responders and um, these readiness retreats and they take them away and um, they go through a whole week of bonding together and um, letting, letting it all out and uh, I believe they're life-changing for first responders who are able to get there. But a first responder has to be open to want to go there, um, to attend, obviously, you know what I mean? I'm not gonna go, be forced to go, they have to want to go and realize they need some help. And first help, no judgment, takes that on. So they do that all year round too. So during the, you know, your son died in 2018 and Within two years, we had the pandemic. Yeah. So were you seeing any of these groups during the pandemic? Or how did you cope with that? You know, it was, it was a difficult situation because we um, we also, so Alex was my son from a previous marriage. And, it, it, you know, these are the difficult things that happen when you have a situation like this talking about, you know, how we had lost Alex and, you know, the whole situation. And the woman, the president of the organization wrote back. So that was, you know, that was another part of the difficulty that the whole situation kind of brought on us. You know, it kind of brought back all that, all that difficulty that, that 
you know, happened many years ago. And, you know, we still today struggle with the fact that we didn't get a lot of closure. You know, he was never buried. He was cremated. His ashes are, you know, at his house. And, you know, those are, those are difficult things. They bring up a lot of old wounds that, um, unfortunately, you know, we have to deal with as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's sad that if these ashes are in an urn and then there's no cemetery to go to. Yeah, to, exactly. To put flowers on it or to do anything. And then yeah. there's the yeah. Especially I just, I actually just said that um, at one of the group sessions that we we just were reeling, uh, I came to, it hit me hard um, that, and and it's unfortunate because Alex was going through the divorce and um and the divorce was already signed. There was a a 90-day hold because there's kids involved. But there was a 90-day, he went through the divorce, he came to live with us, he asked, Can I, can I come home? I said, Yes. Mm, absolutely. He had a whole two rooms downstairs. He was able to bring the kids up here over the summer. And um he seemed to be doing okay and um, he was he, was, he, he was seemed to be doing okay spend a lot of time with us cooking yep. with me especially in the evening time he would sit out when he was home and not working he would definitely be sitting out with me um on the deck and talking about you know struggles of work and um Mike Chesna had been shot and um that was in July he was living was in April and he he would say on me and how sad he was that, you know, the administration wouldn't let them go and pick up the Mike Chesna's um, remains at the, what you call it, in Boston. At the at the uh, coroner's, yeah. The coroner's office, which they all do, all the different departments go and escort the, the body back to um, the, the funeral home. And um, Abington was the only one that wasn't allowed to do that from the administration that was there. And he was very upset over that. It saddened him um, deeply. And um, and he was very upset and he, he had words with the chief and the chief was mad at him and, you know, for speaking up. But Alex was one that we didn't feel right. He spoke up about it um, regardless. So a couple of weeks before he, he, he moved out um, from our place, he had sort of, um, had his stuff still here at the house and he moved out and he had said, I'm I'm, I'm getting a, a winter rental down in Marshfield to be closer to the kids. Kids are going back to school. I want to be closer to them. And um, I had said in my head, how the heck is he going to manage all of that? You know? And um, he moved in. And to the winter rental on the Saturday, he signed the lease. He took all his stuff out of here. I didn't get to talk to him in person. Um, and he moved in. And it was the following Monday that he was gone. Um, he didn't do it at, at the winter rental. He went back home to his it home, his yeah. home yeah. that he, he worked so hard to provide um to do better and always do good for his family. But the divorce had n- never finalized within those 90 days. And she... So knit- she she had the rights to him and everything. Yep. So the yep. ashes were and given it, to her. And it kind of cut flag. us out completely. Yep. And he's asked her, like, George has emailed her and asked her numbers of times to, can we have a small amount of his ashes so that we can bury him? So that his siblings can have some closure and she's never responded back to him. And um, so. Have you gone to just knock on her door? No. No, we've, I mean, we've seen her a few times at a couple of different events, but you know, Tony, we, when we visited this family weekend, especially this past uh, time, we heard similar, very similar stories, you know, whether it was keeping kids away from, parents, you know, the, the wives would keep kids away from parents. So um, we realize that it's just, you know, unfortunately, what we have to deal with. And, and I think 
you know, we've we've turned that into, well, if we can't find a place to go visit him, you know, in a proper burial way, then we'll do things like scholarships and we'll, you know, we'll put memorial benches and we'll we'll do all the things we can to honor his life without, you know, the closure of having a funeral and and having him buried somewhere. Yeah. So but that did hit me. Yeah, that did hit yeah. me that, that weekend, last weekend. And it was about like um, you know, anger and and they were asking us, you know, what were we angry about and how did our anger come out? And it hit me that day that I am angry. Um because I have we have three of the kids, his siblings, um, who are struggling really really bad and I can't fix it as a mom um I can't fix their pain I can't fix I'm gonna get emotional now but I can't I can't fix um sorry for I for <laughs> Francis I was, I was forgetting about Francis I was um, left out a child <laughs> yeah I did leave out a child we have four other kids yeah. and I can't okay. I, I caught up on that but that's okay yeah. I, okay. I can't I can't fix it, you know. I, I shared with other parents, you know. Being the mom, I think this guy had the kids trained when they were younger, you know. If you wake up in the middle of the night, learn how to say mom, you know. Um, <laughs> mom, call mom. If there was a nightmare, they would come into the bed beside me. If they, you know, if the girls, um, you know, boyfriend, heartbreaks, mom was always there, you know, to oh, yeah. do all of that. And it hit me. That I can't, I can't fix this for them. I can't do that. I will, I, I will make a suggestion. There's another organization that I'm part of, and it's called Hope Floats, and it's in Kingston. And yeah, Hope Floats yeah. has a, is a, they have two or three different groups for sibling loss, and it's very effective. My, my son, you know, went to that because he lost his only brother. Yeah. You know, right. And he, he went to a few sessions and and again, same thing. Every every kid he met, every person he met that was there, um, was in the same position he was in. You know, they had lost their brothers or sisters and and so um and all for various reasons, but it didn't matter that they were dealing without having them. And uh yeah, and hope, hope is, is if you can get them to go, that would be very helpful for them. Yes. That's no, that's that's great, Tony. It, you know, this first help group, um, this was the second year that we went to the family weekend, and they break you up by parents, siblings, spouses. And it was the first year we got to see the kids get together and you know, from all over the country and actually say we you know. We're, we're all siblings now. We want to be together and we want to support each other. Yeah. So we think that's, that's a good great. start. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, an, another subject that I'm very familiar with is the amount of suicides in America with guns. And, yes. you know, um, you know, with the, to me, with when somebody commits suicide with a gun, that's, I'm sorry, this, not the word commit, but when they... They take their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When they take their life uh, by means of a firearm, um, there's no second chance. You know, I I know others, and I've I actually was involved with somebody that knew I was coming, but they were attempting to commit suicide by turning the oven on, and and you know, and I could smell the gas from outside the door. And yeah. uh, and that that person survived that event, and and she's turned out to be the she was one of the vice presidents of General Dynamics. Wow! You know, wow. She, wow. she ended up her her life turned around, you know, and and yeah. uh, and and uh, you know her her pain was a little different. She was brutally raped and couldn't cope with it, and the parents were were bad about it you know they said would you know was blaming her for it you know yeah she was that thing but but you know if it's a gun you you don't get that second chance and no you don't and no. i i think and i'm i'm so opposed to everybody that thinks oh i gotta have a gun to protect myself 
Well, last year there were 22,000 suicides committed by people with their own gun. And, you know, you, but if, if anybody sees anybody who suffers from depression or suffers from anxiety and they feel like they're over the, over the top and the biggest person is veterans, you know, yes. Uh, yes. we're losing 20 to 30 veterans a day yeah. in this yes. country. And, and they all have access to a firearm, which is, is a big, big mistake. We, we, we've got to change that mentality of that whole thing you know it's like uh, you know and i don't know how we're ever going to overcome the john wayne syndrome and again you have to be old enough to know who john wayne is <laughs> what i'm talking I know, about i know who you know, john wayne is yeah maybe we'll call it the liam neeson syndrome you know because <laughs> you know he goes out and gets revenge on everybody you know but you know because he's supposed to be the tough guy and the guy saving his wife who's kidnapped or his daughter was kidnapped and all that yeah i remember and, uh, that movie yeah, you know, taken, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, you know, um, in Massachusetts last two years, just in Massachusetts, there were there were 4,000 uh, 4, young people who died of, of um, fentanyl poisoning or overdose from op opioids. And that means that there was um, 4,000 dads and I can tell you from knowing about how many grief groups we have, these dads don't go, don't go to any grief groups. Right. And the, the one message I get from that is the number one age group of people who are committing suicide in America are men ages 50 to 60. Well, mm. they're, they're carrying stuff with them and they feel they've got to deal with it and they feel that they're too weak and they can't handle it. So that's their way out, I guess. And, yeah. uh, and we, yeah. we need to take a look at people who are who are not getting treatment, not having some kind of a group session or having a therapist or anything, you know, um, yeah. it's you're, you're so right. You're so right, Tony, about guns and that, you know, that's part of the issue with with police and first responders. Right. To your point about the John Wayne syndrome. They have to appear tough. And when they're struggling, their biggest concern is if I go and talk to somebody about that, the first thing they're going to do is put me behind a desk and take my gun away. Right. So I'll lose their job or, or lose their job. So they're so concerned about that. They try to tough it out. And, you know, we think my son did go to the administration and tell him he was, ha you know, he was going through a divorce and he was struggling and they sent him to be evaluated. But again, they're not honest because they're afraid if they're honest about what's going on, they're going to lose the job, you know, lose the ability to make income. And that, you know, that's the challenge, right? He probably should have been on leave. He probably, with all that was going on, should have been treated, right? But because, yeah. you know... He didn't want to. He didn't want to let them know how bad things were. He was still, you know, still had a gun. Yeah. Available. And also, as far as medication, um, you know, to help with, um, depression or PTSD or anxiety, um, you know, a lot of those medications, one of the main first side effects on those prescriptions are may cause suicidal thoughts or actions yeah. oh yeah or actions and uh i mean we lots of parents shared that also you know the children who they lost you know were given prescriptions and then and then you know they're gone they got worse yeah so to your point tony you know that's a not, not they're not giving them opioids but they're going for help and the doctors are too, rather than sit down in a support group, they're too willing to throw medication at them, right? You know, everybody's on Prozac and all these other things. And, you know, read the bottle. Yeah. The bottle says exactly what my wife said. Yeah. You know, may cause suicidal thoughts. And if somebody's already at that point where their life is, you know, shaky, 
then why oh, yeah. are we giving them those kind? It you distorts. Know, those are just as dangerous as an opioid to somebody like that. Yeah. And I think right. Alex was probably given some of that medication too. Yeah. When he was evaluated. So yeah, yeah. it it you know, the system's just gotta get better. Yeah. And you know, our goal now is to to talk to all these first responders and you know, if we can save one family from what we're going through, that's our goal. Yeah. You know, one at a time. Keep talking about it openly. Yeah. And 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 every chance and every opportunity that we can talk about it, we will. And and not only by mentioning Alex's name, but just to, you know, say, Hey, we're here for chat. I will listen and I will talk and I will listen and you know, trying to get departments to advocate for first responders um, in, in the administration level to commit to listening to their officers. What a great world it would be for these first responders to to be able to go in and say, hey, I need to, I, I'm struggling a bit and I need some help. And to say, you know what, this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to support you and you can be treated and this can be treatable. PTSD is treatable. Depression is treatable. Anxiety is treatable. Let's let's get this and let's support you and, and work through it. And we've had seen some chiefs, not in Massachusetts, but in, in um, I think there was one chief in Taunton and there wasn't a chief in New Hampshire that put out a, a like a documentary challenge and said, I, I will listen, I will talk and I will listen and talked about their own PTSD um, in first response. And, you know, what a great department that would be to work in for anyone else that is struggling because they know they have a chief that has already also gone through it. And he's still a chief and um, and still active duty chief. So, um, you know, wouldn't that be lovely for, for all first responders to be able to work in departments and get that support? It sure would be. I mean, yeah. when we, every time you watch the TV show, and you know, and like Colbert or one of those things, they always say, oh, let's, you know, give a hand for our first responders. Mm -hmm. You know, we always treat them, you know, like heroes. Same mm -hmm. thing when somebody's from the military, you give, mm -hmm. them a, give them a seat, they get on the plane first, you know, let's clap and let's give them tickets to go to the Celtics game. You know, they do all that. But then when they, they, they're out of the service and they're in emotional stress, you know, it's like all of a sudden the system, they just, you know, they, they don't step up. I mean, we just yeah. went through that with the first responders at the World uh, Trade Center when the, after 9-11, you know, they, they oh, all yeah. of a sudden they were going to cut their insurance. These people that have got all kinds of lung diseases and different things that have happened from the you know, right. from the pollution coming off the building. Yeah. You know, and it took a it took a massive amount of people to go down to Washington and and you know actively do some screaming at the right people and make make them look bad before the politicians would sign. You know, and yet and they're the same, bill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're the same ones who would say, "Oh no, you know, we're not going to let them have the insurance. They've been milking us for too long, or something." You know, they just don't understand, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to thank you both very much for your candidness about a subject that I know is very difficult to talk about. I seriously appreciate you coming on to the station and letting other parents hear you. And I'm sure there are other parents who are listening to, to this show who uh, are going through something similar mm -hmm. and they're in the same kind of pain. And uh, yeah. for you, it took great courage for you to come on my show and, um, and, and let's hope that the word hope, you know, that we can use both of the words here, courage to hope yeah. that, um, that you bring some amount of comfort to those who are also suffering, Yeah, you know, and just tell them to come to, um, my Riley's. <laughs> Come to My Riley's and get the best muffins you'll ever eat in your entire life. Yeah, they will take care of them for sure. Let me tell you, we yeah, have a Irish, connection. 
the Irish chef who's the best I've ever seen. You know, well, so Ben says. I think he just says that so that he'll get. Oh no, I, I've had some of those muffins. There's no way. There's no way I can assure you. You know, so and uh, and so this is the courage to hope, and this is Tony LaGreca, and until next time, thank you, George and Linda Kokoros. Thank you so much for Thank having you, us. Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having us. Very welcome.